Hi, friends, and welcome to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast, where we discuss Bible prophecy from a pre-tribulational, premillennial, expositional, and rapture-ready point of view. This is Joel Dober. I'm the former professor of eschatology and dean of biblical studies at Calvary Chapel University, a local pastor for more than two decades, and a student of God's Word. I want to help you understand the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Grab your Bibles and let's dig deep. This is the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. Well, hello friends and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is your host, Joel Dover. So glad to have you with us on the program. And today we continue our talk, of course, about Bible prophecy, looking at selected biblical texts that speak into the things which are to come. You know, we've referenced that verse out of Revelation a few times. I wonder, even as we uh, say it in our introduction, if you understand what we mean when we say that we're here to teach you about the things which are, uh, the things which were, the things which are, are, the things which are to come. It is a verse out of Revelation, speaking of past, present, and future, the work of God. And of course, as we look at the Bible, we know that the Lord has done many wonderful things in the past, including the cross of Jesus Christ. We're seeing the hand of God in the present as he is moving us towards the culmination of human history. And we know that in times to come, there are many of these things in the Bible that are very specifically laid out for us that we expect to see the Lord do, thus saith the Lord. I want to invite you to take your Bible to Zechariah. Zechariah, of course, is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And when we speak of the major and minor prophets, remember, we're not speaking of importance, we're speaking of the size of these books. And so the major prophets, of course, as we think about uh, perhaps uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, these are tremendously large books. The minor prophets are smaller in content. And so uh, as you look through, of course, you know, these smaller books like Jonah and uh, Nahum and Habakkuk and these minor prophet books, Zechariah, Zephaniah, uh, these are smaller, easy to digest books, but their content is just as significant as the larger major prophets. We're in Zechariah, not to be confused with uh, 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 Zephaniah, and we are uh, looking, of course, at uh, some of the uh, wonderful end times prophecies that Zechariah has for us. And so I want to encourage you to study and read this entire book, but I would like to jump in with your permission at chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12. And in light of what we've been learning about, of course, the Gog Magog invasion and leading up, of course, friends, to a more in-depth study, I think probably of the books of uh, maybe Daniel, certainly the book of Revelation, verse by verse through that book, which will be coming in probably the next season, maybe season two, season three of this podcast. But we want to just kind of get the biblical overview. And we've been learning in weeks past that as we near the end times, there are going to be conflicts with Israel. In fact, one of the things that I've taught you is that Israel is sort of a barometer, if you will, on the last day's events. So keep your eyes peeled Uh, on Israel. Keep your eyes uh, uh, looking for uh, what's happening in Israel and uh, watching the barometer of how God is orchestrating events in culture, in politics, in even geopolitical circumstances to affect these things that have been written about in the Bible uh, all of these years ago. So in Zechariah 12, we're well into what I believe is the tribulation period and coming to the end of the tribulation, nearing the time when the Lord will return and establish his literal reign and rule on the earth, an earthly kingdom. Now, this is not to be confused with the Gog Magog invasion, which I believe 
takes place somewhere in proximity to the rapture of the church at the beginning of the tribulation period, there are really in Scripture two major global battles in the last days uh, against Israel. And one, of course, is the Gog-Magog invasion, where the Lord intervenes as they're coming in and destroys them. And then, of course, the second is Armageddon, the war that takes place in the Valley of Megiddo. And it's at Armageddon, according to the book of Revelation, when the Lord returns, touches down on the Mount of Olives, defeats the armies of the earth, and establishes at that point his literal reign and rule upon the earth. That is the inauguration of the Lord's literal earthly kingdom. Uh, that is in the literal sense. We now experience the kingdom in a spiritual sense, right? Because we've been born again, we're part of the church, we are the kingdom of God, but we believe that the Lord will establish a literal reign upon the earth, a literal kingdom upon the earth. So in Zechariah chapter 12, there's just a a wonderful uh, connotation here about the nation of Israel in the last days, in the tribulation period, leading right up to the coming of the Lord. And what we learn in Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, we'll at least look at chapter 12 and uh, probably skip 13 and get right into chapter 14 as soon as we can, maybe a part one, part two, we'll see about the length of the podcast today. But what we're going to see is that in the tribulation period, just before the coming of the Lord, that one of the things the Bible says is going to happen in the nation of Israel is that the Hebrew people will call out for Jesus Christ. They will call out for Messiah. They will have a radical Jesus revival in the last days. There'll be a massive calling out for Jesus and then the Lord will come. And so again, this is the second coming. It's not the rapture. The rapture takes place again before the beginning of the tribulation period. We've learned that the rapture takes place. The church is removed in advance of God's pouring out of judgment upon the earth in seven literal years of tribulation, what Daniel calls the 70th week. Then, of course, there is the rise of the Antichrist, the covenant of peace that he makes, inaugurating the beginning of that seven years, marked in the middle by the abomination of desolation, and, of course, culminated seven years later when Jesus returns at the second coming, okay, the literal establishment of his reign and rule. So, as we're reading Zechariah 13, uh, 12, 13, 14, you're going to see in the context of this passage that Zechariah's prophecy clearly speaks of the end of that tribulation period. Now, Let's get into it and see what the Lord might say to us. Let's just open our hearts and our minds and be prepared for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scripture. The Bible reads, beginning in chapter 12 of Zechariah, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Now, that is an interesting word, is it not? The word uh, burden there. Uh, Another translation uh, says oracle, the oracle of the word of the Lord, but it is certainly a a burdensome thing that these prophets did in order to um, talk about as the Lord laid on their hearts and gave them uh, revelation, the things pertaining to their own people, some of them uh, very difficult to write and to, to speak. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Notice it's against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. So this is God speaking to one According to verse 1, who makes the heavens and the earth, the one who establishes the earth. He is the creator, right? And who forms the spirit of the man within him. He's the creator of mankind. Verse 2, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Now, we're learning right there in chapter 2 that Zechariah is prophesying a siege. Did you catch it? He's prophesying a siege 
from the surrounding nations, the surrounding peoples who will come up against Judah and Jerusalem. This is what happens in large part in, of course, the battle of uh, uh, the Magog invasion, but it is also what happens at Armageddon, that is the war of Megiddo there at the last days. And context is key. So as we read, it will become clear to us that we're speaking of that latter battle. So Zechariah tells us already that Jerusalem will be a cup of drunkenness to those surrounding nations that will come up and lay siege against it. And so as they come up to war against it, verse 3, the Bible says, It shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Now, one of the reasons that we know that this is not the Megiddo battle is that the scripture specifically says here that all the nations of the earth, every nation, is gathered against it. Now, in the Ezekiel prophecy regarding the Gog-Magog invasion, there were specific nations uh, that were engaged in the battle, others that were watching the battle in, uh, in opposition to it, and some in support of it, but certain nations, specific nations, that were engaged in the battle. Here, in Zechariah chapter 12, the Bible specifically says it is a global war. Every nation is involved in this battle in one way or the other. Now, Israel, of course, is the focal point. And the Bible says that Jerusalem makes these nations drunk and that she is also a very heavy stone for all these people. Something is happening in Jerusalem in this day that offends the rest of the world. And they are intoxicated uh, by her and by probably the blessings that God is pouring out upon her in this particular day. So that all of the nations of the earth, verse 3, are gathered against it. Now in verse 4, as the Uh, Nations of the earth, all global nations, military powers from all over gathered together against Jerusalem, against Israel. The Bible says, verse 4, in that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Now think about that. The Lord will supernaturally intervene to create what verse 4 says is confusion and madness for both the rider and for the beast. And so, God will supernaturally move. There will be great confusion. And verse 5, the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord. uh, Excuse me. The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. So, there's a, a, a belief in the strengthening that they have as the people of God. Verse 6, In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. The Bible here, of course, is speaking of the strengthening of the nation of Israel. And isn't it wonderful as we look at the world today and realize how small the nation of Israel really is geographically? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it awesome to see how God is blessing that nation and not only that nation, but the rest of the world through that nation? Israel is a powerful, powerful nation. God is blessing that nation even now, and we're seeing it 
in our own day. The Lord continues to speak in this prophecy about the strength of that nation. The Bible compares them to uh, a fire pan in the woodpile. That is uh, what sets the woodpile ablaze. We would call it a fire starter, if you will. And then, of course, like a fiery torch in the sheaves. If you can imagine setting a uh, bundle of dry sheaves on fire with a torch, that's that's Jerusalem. It's the it's the it's the power. Speaking of the strength. That God will give. Verse 7 speaks of the glory that God will give to Israel in the latter days, the glory of the house of David, the glory to the inhabitants of, uh, of Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? And then the Lord speaks of defending Jerusalem and defending the house of David, Judah. And verse 9 specifically says, listen, this is amazing, specifically says that it shall be in the day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And so, friends, I just want to tell you, it is unwise, it is spiritually unwise to come against the nation of the Lord, to come against Israel. That's one of the reasons why, historically, as politicians have led our country, at least those who are aware of the Bible, that have some kind of a uh, Judeo-Christian background who know these things, it's why uh, that our country has historically supported the people of Israel. We recognize, because we believe in the Almighty, we believe in God, our Creator, we realize that God has a special place and a special plan for Israel, and we want to be aligned with what God is doing. And so, verse 9, it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. God is going to intervene. So, in Zechariah chapter 12, as the nations of the earth gather together to destroy Jerusalem, they are drunk with the wine of Jerusalem. She has become a heavy stone. They desire to destroy Jerusalem. These nations will be gathered together, according to the Bible, in the last days, seeking the utter destruction of the nation of Israel. And the Lord says, when that happens... I'm going to strengthen my people. I'm going to pour out upon them strength, power, uh, the power of God. If you look again at verse 5, the power of God radically moving upon the people of Israel in this day. And verse 9 says that as these nations come up against the nation of Israel, that the Lord will intervene and the Lord will seek to destroy all those nations who come up against them. Now, we're going to see that destruction detailed for us in Zechariah 14. We'll get there in just a moment, and then, of course, we'll study that again as we get into the book of Revelation. But I want you to notice, and here's really the focal point of our teaching today, verse 10 through the rest of the chapter 10 to 14, because this is so amazing to me, what the Bible says is going to happen among a people, Israel, who right now, by and large, are secular and irreligious, even those who are um, professing Jews, by and large secular Jews, cultural Jews. And while there, of course, are exceptions, that is the uh, rule and not the exception. But listen to what will happen in Zechariah's prophecy according to verse 10. The Bible says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Now, what a wonderful thing that God will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. Now, in my Bible, and I realize, of course, it's an English translation, but that word spirit is capital S. The, it, the translators of my English Bible believe at least, and I agree, that this is a mighty movement of the Holy Spirit among the nation of Israel in this day. And God pours out grace. He pours out supplication. And then watch this, verse 10, second part of that verse. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him. 
as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now, friends, I want to just point out to you that this is Jesus. This is Jesus, Mashiach Nagid, Messiah, our King. This is the King of the Jews, the one that was crucified at Calvary, the one who was put there by the religious leaders of Jerusalem years and years ago. The Bible says that in the last days, the nation of Israel, having received the spirit of grace and supplication, will look on me whom they have pierced. Again, in verse 10, in the English Bible, when the scripture says they will look on me, that word me is capitalized. It is the uh, the reference to the Almighty. It's, it's God here. They will look on God whom they have pierced. That is Jesus. And the scripture says they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. Well, of course they will. Because as they look up in the sky and they see the Lord coming, they will grieve, they will mourn, they will realize the error of their ways, the folly of the generations, and they will cry out to the Lord uh, in that day. In verse 11, in that day there should be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shemaiah by itself, and their wives by themselves. Here's the point, verse 14, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by itself. In other words, there is national revival, the nation of Israel becomes a Christian nation in one day. I want you to think about it. Now they've come through the tribulation. The judgments have been poured out. The trumpet judgments, the seal judgments, the vile judgments are poured out. The Lord has demonstrated his power and authority. The gospel has been preached. They've had time to chew on this and consider this. And then in the last day, as these armies gather around them, little, little small Israel surrounded by all the nations of the earth, the Bible says that God will pull out his spirit on them, give them power, grace, supplication, like a firebrand. They will have the strength and power of God, the house of David. And in that day, they shall look and they're going to see Jesus, the one whom they have pierced. They'll see the nail-scarred hands. They'll see the crown of thorns, the scars of the crown of thorns upon his head. They'll see the side of Jesus pierced. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. And they will mourn as one mourns for an only son, Jesus, according to John 3.16, the only begotten son of God. And of course, we know in John chapter 1, full of grace and full of truth. And they shall call on the name of the Lord. Chapter 13, quickly. In that day, now we're going to read this and then save and reserve commentary for chapter 14. But in that day... A fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. Now, friends, when the fountain is open for sin and uncleanliness, this is speaking of salvation. Israel will be saved. There's only one way that sins are atoned for, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. And we must come through repentance and faith to the Lord. In chapter 13, verse 1, Zechariah is telling us that there will be forgiveness of sin and uncleanliness for the inhabitants of of Judah and for Jerusalem. Israel will be, John 3, born again. Verse 2, it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. And so whatever those idols are, they will be cut off. Any false object of worship, any false gods, any false religion, whatever it is, they'll be cut off. 
The Bible says, I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. Speaking of the false prophets, the unclean spirits, the the pagan spirits, demonic spirits. And the Bible says it shall come to pass, verse 3, if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. False prophecy will come to an end. False word will come to an end. And even so, uh, executed by uh, their own family members. Verse 4. And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet, I am a farmer. For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth, and one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And of course, again, many people believe that verse 6 is uh, prophetic about Jesus Christ. But the context of the passage here in verse 13 is that false prophecy, false religion, pagan religion, pagan idolatry, all, all other things that compete with the truth of Jehovah God and the revelation of Jesus Christ repentance and faith, followership of Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the King, that these things will be done away with, and that Israel, Jerusalem, and Judah will become purely, listen, purely Christian. They become purely followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord." That two-thirds in it shall shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. Again, this speaks, of course, of the Revelation plagues. And verse 9, I will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Now, if you were to jump ahead, friends, and read in the book of Revelation about the judgments that come during the tribulation, you would be reminded there that there will be a tremendous loss of life as God pours out judgment upon the earth during the great tribulation period, that there will be a remnant of Israel that remains. And that's what's being referenced here in verse 13, that the remnant that remains, the remnant that passes through the fire of the tribulation as we reach the end of the tribulation here, that the third of Israel that remains, the remnant, will call out to the Lord. These are the ones who endure the tribulation who receive Jesus, who call out for the one whom they have pierced. Now, in chapter 14, we read about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a Bible term that refers to the day when the Lord executes his judgment or when he moves in power among his people. Let's read. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, Zechariah 14.1. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. There it is again, all nations. This is not the Gog-Magog invasion. This is Armageddon, the battle of Megiddo, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against Israel. I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, now here's the significant portion. As the nations are coming up against Jerusalem, as they are having victory in that last day, in the midst of their victory, as they're coming into Jerusalem, as they're having victory in Jerusalem, there is a remnant saved. And the Lord, listen, the Lord rescues the remnant and he whips up on the armies of the earth. Verse 4, and in that day, 
His feet, speaking of the Lord, this is Jesus the Christ, Messiah. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Now, friend, I just want you to imagine in your mind what is happening as Jerusalem is being besieged by the armies that come against it in the latter days, that is, at Armageddon. They are having victory. The Lord himself, Jesus, the Messiah, descends from heaven. He touches down. The Bible specifically says in verse 4, his feet touch down so that he stands on the Mount of Olives. One of the designators between the rapture and the second coming is where Jesus is positioned in those events. In the rapture, the Bible says that he comes and we are caught up to meet him in the air. There's no touchdown. In the rapture, we are caught up. We meet him in the air. But at the second coming, Jesus comes all the way. He touches down, and the Bible tells us specifically he will touch down on the Mount of Olives, a very specific location there to the east of Israel. Now, when the Lord touches down, there's a very significant event here. The Mount of Olives is going to split. And the Bible says it splits half going to the north, half going to the south, so that a valley is created there uh, between the split of the Mount of Olives where Jesus has touched down. He divides the rock. He splits the rock. And the remnant of Israel, the Bible says, goes through that mountain valley, verse 5, that's been created. And the remnant of Israel flees through the Mount of Olives. Isn't that interesting? Goes through the Mount of Olives, through the mountain, to the other side. And then, of course, there's Jesus, and he will uh, subsequently defeat the armies of the earth. Let's keep reading and see what else that the Lord might have for us here. Verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that there will be light. Ooh, that's so interesting. Strange things are happening, and a very unusual day. Verse 8, in that, in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. So the Lord, when he comes and the armies of the earth are defeated, and we'll be reading about that here in just a moment, beginning in verse 12 and following, uh, but when the Lord comes, he speaks here of the establishment of his kingdom, that Jesus will be the light in the place, living water flowing forth. And, of course, all of the world uh, you know, calling upon his name, worshiping his name. Verse 9, specifically, the Lord shall be king over the earth. Global domination. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 10, all the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to uh, Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine presses. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. This speaks of peace. But this is what will happen to get to that peace. And this shall be the plague with, with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. What is the fate, friends, of those armies of the world who have come up against 
Jerusalem. Now, I want to warn you, this reads like what you've seen in the Indiana Jones movie. In fact, that's probably where they got it from. If you've ever seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie and they open the ark and people's faces melt and their eye sockets melt and those kind of things from that uh, wonderful uh, action movie from years past, uh, this sounds a lot like that. So allow your imagination to uh, go with it a little, if you will. The Bible says, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouth. It is a dissolving situation, is it not? It is a dissolving kind of occurrence. Uh, the Bible speaks of their flesh dissolving, their eye sockets, their tongues dissolving. This, I, I, don't, I don't want to get into speculation land. There are many people who believe that this, of course, must be the result of some kind of a nuclear explosion. We don't know that. Friends, I want to caution you. I want to caution you about reading into the scripture from things that we know. I've, I've heard it for so many years in relation to Bible prophecy, and I think it discredits us as uh, prophecy teachers when we try to uh, use allegory or try to read in. We, we must be careful to let the Bible speak and not to put words in the prophet's mouths. However it happens, whatever shall be the case, the Bible says flesh will dissolve, eyes will dissolve in their sockets, tongues will dissolve in their mouths. 13. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. They'll turn on each other. Remember what we've been reading before in chapter 12. There'll be confusion and madness and blindness of the horses. And the Lord unpacks that further and speaks of the confusion that breaks out so that they turn on each other. Soldiers standing in a line begin to fight with each other out of utter confusion and panic that verse 13 specifically says comes from the Lord. God does this in their midst. He causes the panic. He causes the confusion in their midst. 14, Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. So also, such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, and on all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. All right, well, I think this is uh, a beautiful picture of the Lord stepping in to defend the nation of Israel and to defeat those armies as he establishes his earthly reign and rule. Again, friends, this takes place at the end of the tribulation period. This is the battle of Armageddon. The nation of the armies gathered together with the intent of destroying Jerusalem. They look upon Jesus, whom they have pierced. They call out for their Savior. He redeems them. He comes and splits the rock of the Mount of Olives. A remnant of Israel is rescued through the mountain and the Lord himself with the host of heaven, with the uh, army of the saints. If you look back at uh, chapter 14 and verse 5, second part of verse 5, the saints come with the Lord to uh, fight in this battle and the armies of the earth are defeated supernaturally. Whatever it is, it melts their flesh, melts their eye sockets, melts their tongues. They turn on each other, confusion, madness, even upon the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, the cattle, this plague of confusion falls upon them. And so the armies of the world are defeated. The Bible says that the wealth of the surrounding nations is gathered together, gold, silver, apparel in great abundance in the nation of Israel. And the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Listen, the Lord is there to reign and to rule. The Bible in the book of Revelation speaks of the millennial reign, which is a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus upon the earth. And during this time, of course, Satan is bound, the false prophet, the Antichrist, uh, all these things. The Lord literally reigns and rules on the earth. Now listen, verse 16. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. Remember, the soldiers come, but there's still moms and, you know, kids and people back home. Not everyone comes to the battlefield, but every nation is represented. The Bible says, whoever's left among the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Beautiful. And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts on them, there will be no rain. So the Lord establishes his dominion. He really does his dominion in the earth. All the nations of the earth worship the Lord and they come to Jerusalem to pay honor to the Lord and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And of course, uh, verse 18, that the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. Here's an illustration. They shall receive the plagues with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the Lord uh, establishes the feast as a time of worship for all nations. We will come up and celebrate that in Jerusalem. Verse 20, in that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. The Lord establishes his literal reign and rule upon the earth. Now, for the rest of the story, and there is more to it, of course, we have to look at the book of Revelation and we shall get there. And so as we begin to wrap up this first season of the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast, we have really experienced a number of texts which take us through a tremendous scenario. And I think what we'll do, friends, I think what we'll do is a recap. We'll do a recap and we'll round out this season by doing a recap of the things that we've learned. We began way back weeks and weeks and weeks ago, uh, 15, 16 weeks ago, 20 weeks ago, talking about uh, biblical definitions. What do we mean when we uh, talk about uh, pre-trib or pre-millennial prophecy? What does that mean? What are we talking about uh, when we uh, refer to an expositional hermeneutic? And then, of course, we looked at the rise of nations, the prophecies regarding earthly kingdoms that would rise and fall. We've learned about the Antichrist, the rise of the Antichrist. We've learned about his characteristics. We've learned about the last day's kingdom, revitalized Rome. We've learned you know, so many things. We've learned the difference between the rapture and the second coming, the signs of the times that would accompany the days of the rapture of the church. We've learned about the Gog-Magog invasion, the armies gathering together just before the rapture of the church to attack these nations. And we've learned about the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, and now about the second coming of the Lord, touching down on the Mount of Olives at the Battle of Armageddon, defeating the armies of the earth and establishing his literal reign and rule upon the earth. Now, there are a lot of gaps still to fill in. And the Bible has entire books devoted to this. And so we will enjoy taking our time looking through at least the book of Revelation in season two of this podcast. I think next time we'll do a recap, take you through the whole scenario, start to finish, understand what we've learned, and then move into season two. Thank you for listening to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. As always, I welcome your questions, your comments, and your cries of outrage. I pray the Lord will bless you and keep you as we study the Bible together, as we read, and as we just let the Bible speak for itself. What did the author intend to say? What does it say? What does it mean? And how shall we apply it to our lives? May the Lord bless you and keep you. Take care. 